So hey guys, what's up? Welcome to Brain Dump with Ronald. This is episode 29. Um, I'm really excited for this um, episode. This is an interview with Dean Sofer. He is one of my good friends from San Francisco and he does a ton of shit. So I hope you guys, you know, gain something from this, this interview and yeah, I'm excited to get into this. So um, how are you doing today, Dean? Uh, doing a little tired, been running around all week, but I'm doing good. Going to music after this, friends DJing for the first time at Fate near around the corner. And okay. just, yeah, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Um, I, I, I don't know, I've been working at Breitling, obviously. Um, I've been, you know, working on some music. I'm releasing a single in about a month that's coming out on September 19th um, on Spotify. So I'm excited for that. And then just trying to do, um, I have like a show that I'm working on with my friends called The Last Roommate. It's with Gianni Magna and Jake Fagan, the the guys who who I did that comedy show with, mm -hmm. like the online one. We were working yeah. on a web series. So we've been doing that. That's cool. Um, yeah, that's been really fun. Um, so just trying to make time for like creative stuff. I feel that. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's been my trouble okay. lately is balancing like work, work and creative work and creativity. And right now my like creativity is suffering <laughs> and yeah. time. And it's like, I'm trying to figure out what I should be putting my energy into. Cause I got so many things I'm like doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What um what's like the main thing that you're doing right now? Well, um, for your viewers who don't know, I work for PlayStation, um, and I just finished. I worked on all the picture-in-picture -picture features and video streaming features on PlayStation Five. Some of which aren't even released yet, and I'm trying to get them released, like watching Netflix or Twitch while you're playing video games. Um, but uh, when we finished PS5, I started working on a new tech project uh, to try and save the live music industry or the live independent music venues at the heat of COVID. And the problem was all these virtual festivals and concerts were really lame, like on Twitch. <laughs> so they had Inside Lands and Lightning on a Bottle and all those. And like Zoom and a lot of these other platforms, it's really boring to sit in front of the screen. Like you can't interact with anybody or if you do, you're super disruptive and it's just like static. Nobody wants to stare at a screen. So I've been working on, I, over the past year, I partnered with the biggest open music venue that was still having shows during COVID, the Midway. And we partnered with them. They allowed us to develop a prototype of a completely new video conferencing software that I designed from the ground up around the music industry. And it's like, you can have conversations, you can video chat with random strangers, you can just video chat with only your friends while you all listen to a high quality music stream live from the venue. You can rant, pick random people out of the crowd and like make their cameras, your pinned cameras and things like that. So it's like a completely different take on video conferencing. And then I'm also working with a buddy of mine who we're trying to per develop and perfect a grow it yourself cannabis 
smart pot where the pot takes care of the plant for you. And it's like, instead of going to the store and paying a shit ton in taxes and not knowing what's yeah. in your weed, you can like grow your own herbs and spices and you can grow your own cannabis. And it's like supposed to be everyday consumer friendly. It comes with like, and the whole thing will like monitor the plants levels and you can subscribe and we'll help you through it for the first year and shows you how to do everything. It's supposed to be much more affordable than everything else out there. So I'm working on those things. I'm going back to all the music that's reopening and I'm still trying to hold down my day job. <laughs> For sure. That's a long, that's a lot of stuff. Um, what uh, gave you the idea for the uh, cannabis slash like spice grower? Um, well, when COVID kicked in, uh, I went a little bit stir crazy because I live super far away from like Golden Gate Park and in the heart of the city. So I bought like 65 plants <laughs> that are all over my house and I got really, really into horticulture and I've been like using AI to, to monitor and maintain like all my different plants because I just couldn't keep track of it manually. And um, I was talking to my buddy because I smoke a shit ton of weed and he has been growing for like 14 years, like hundreds and hundreds of pounds of weed and he's like an expert. So he's been looking at, he's like obsessive compulsive artisanal. And to me, mm -hmm. like growing weed should be like, home brewing your own beer you know you 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 grow your favorite strain you exchange it with your friends it's like something you should be doing at home and like you can obsess over it and perfect it but we want to make it really easy and accessible and non-disruptive so we're yeah. testing all sorts of different things for like air filtration lighting we've got it so you can get like a yield of a crops every nine weeks so every nine weeks, and you can have legally up to six plants per person uh, in California. So we've got the yield to currently half a pound of indoor weed per plant. So every nine weeks, you could potentially make, you know, us uh, six plants, so three pounds. And yeah. it's like your own homegrown weed. Um, and it's like only, it's supposed to be really small and easy. So I live in a loft, studio loft. So there aren't a lot of rooms. I don't have a garage and we're still upgrading the roof deck but it, it's just like i've got i'm not working on video games anymore i'm just kind of don't feel like it um and i was i've always been interested in like plants and hydroponics and i've been taking all the different things i've learned about all the different little tricks and combining them like we have an aquarium with goldfish that is watering the cannabis plants and like the goldfish will poop into the into the water which fertilizes the soil and at the same time the soil will filter all of the nutrients out and clean this water for the fish so you get this like symbiotic ecosystem and we're yeah. seeing much bigger plant growth we're looking at how we can simulate different like um weather cycles to kind of force the plant to go through different stages of its life cycle faster and like to kind of stress the plant in ways that yield higher quantities higher strength and just like overall kind of perfect the whole flower growing process since it's like growing in your home you know might as well be obsessive yeah. over it so it's like all contained within like this pod that people would get so what we're doing right now it's supposed to be a smart pot. And it's like the pot itself contains um, a tower, which provides 
lighting, it will hold up the plant, it will contain a camera and sensors to monitor humidity, acidity, all sorts of different things. And one of the new innovations of this pot, unlike um, anybody else, is that the pot has a mechanical pesticide instead of a chemical pesticide. And what it does is there's a fan that creates a cyclone of air from the pot upwards around the cannabis plant and it protects the plant from any insects landing on it. And it actually increases the strength of the plant and helps dry out the plant. And all of this is kind of contained into this pot, which is about the size of like a large bucket you'd get from Home Depot. Yeah. Um, and so we're trying to make it that, you know, no bigger than two feet by two feet square foot of your floor space, you can start growing your own plant and we're making it modular and scalable. So you can buy anywhere from one to six, or if there's multiple people who live in your house, you can go bigger, they'll daisy chain, they'll like share resources. So you can buy only the parts you need. And we're gonna be providing the smart home controller so that you can monitor everything going on with your grow, but this smart home controller is open source and the R software is all open source. So you'll be able to like connect it all to each other and connect it to the rest of your house. So you can pretty much control everything with the smart controller, including oh, wow. this grow room. And it's like trying to find as much pre-built, cheap, off the shelf, like DIY components. And we're just, putting everything into a package that like is easy to assemble. And then if you need, you know, more lights or more pots or whatever, you can go back to the store and buy. And each additional piece is going to be, you know, 20 bucks, 10 bucks, 30 bucks. Like we're not trying to do hundreds and hundreds or thousands and thousands of dollars for like grow equipment. Most of these consumers are just general individuals. And maybe you just want one plant and you can actually use this thing to do it. Uh, it's really cool. Yeah, that sounds really cool. That's awesome. So that if anybody's interested in checking out more about that, uh, that brand is Canna Theory. You can find us on all the social media. And then the new video conferencing software design, like it's like social video conferencing because you're actually supposed to meet random people. And if you like them, you can choose to hear their audio. So it's like everybody gets to choose who they can hear and it's all walkie-talkie style so nobody's talking by default and their kids and their dogs are making noise <laughs> like everybody has to hold down a button and broadcast something they want to say otherwise it remixes all the volume levels so that you only hear music and you don't hear people uh it's yeah. uh, so that's called vosh pit and that you can also find online like video mosh pit uh on social media and everything and we're trying to get free beta streams online to see if anybody wants to participate and give us feedback on what you would like to see in a theoretical, like virtual concert software, because we're building it from the ground up uh, around like connecting people and music. There's nothing else in there. That's really cool. That sounds super fun. Um, so I'm like really busy. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. I, I feel like they both have the common theme of like making home life more exciting. Well, <laughs> where else have I been for the past few years? Yeah. Uh, the weird thing is with music opening back up in California, I've been like so unmotivated to sit in front of a computer even more. And I'm like wondering to myself, should I work on concert software or should I just work on music and like do some more creative producing? But 
I'm a little worried if I, I'm a little late to join that rat race and there are other people who have been practicing for way longer. So I'm like, I'll stick to what I'm good at, which might be connecting musicians and fans and maybe helping out the independent music industry, but that and growing weed. <laughs> yeah, I feel that, it sounds rewarding. And then just for, just for the audience, how did you get into tech and coding and stuff like that? Uh, well, I was lucky enough that my dad was an IT guy and he put a computer in front of me very young and he showed me how to move around DOS and a little fundamentals of programming. Then I picked up more in high school and I started hacking my own websites together. But the funny thing is I went to college for mechanical engineering and I would screw around instead of doing the homework for like physics or 3D modeling or class or or rendering, things I thought I would actually really enjoy. And instead I was working on a piracy server scripts, game, chat room game scripts, uh, like a website for an under, like an internet radio station. We were building like a catalog where people could create their own shows and register. And it's like doing a bunch of other stuff with like coding and scripts and web in my free time, instead of doing homework and classes, because I was afraid if I went to school for programming, I'd essentially hate my day job, but hmm. it's like, I was always doing it anyways. And like, people just started offering to pay me for it. So I kind of got more and more down the road of, well, nobody else knows how to write the code. So I might as well do it. Cause I'm always the one who takes the time to go research everything, but usually Google and YouTube and some tenacious researching skills is all you need to learn how to program and um, having a project in mind, just reading books and taking lessons in absence of a common goal or like something you want to achieve or to create or accomplish, you're gonna forget. But if you are less focused on just learning an arbitrary collection of data or information, and instead are focused on, I want to produce this product or create this solution, then you only have to learn enough to get to the next step of what is required to accomplish this goal. And then your learnings will be a lot more refined and focused and relevant because they'll be what you are learning is immediately implemented towards the end result goal. And it's much more complex to understand not how language A works or technology B works, but how to get all these different things to glue together and run correctly, which means a shit ton of Googling. Um, so yeah, if you want to get into software development, that's my recommendation, but it usually helps to already have some fascination with computers and hacking and scripts and fixing things or making things. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that that's a big misconception, at least with new, you know, people who are trying to get into software engineering. I feel like they, they sort of just try to learn and study anything, but I could see how it helps to have a project because then it's well, like you're yeah, having a project uh, to use libraries or languages that you're studying on with the intention of it. it's it's only worth learning what you the bare minimum you need to you know create what you're trying to create you don't have to learn the whole backstory of every language and technology uh you just have to know what options are available to you vaguely and how to like progress when you select which one to use but uh, what i'm getting at is you need a project to apply your learnings to just like when you're learning a foreign language, if you don't have conversations with anybody in that language, you will not remember the language. You're not applying that knowledge. It's just 
memorization of text in a book and it's not subconsciously associating these labels and ideas with their execution of how they fill in these problems. Um, so yeah, if you wanna do programming, come up with something to create and then just go Google or ask around or research what you need to create that. That's gonna be the best way to learn to program. That's cool. Um, I guess, do you have any projects for beginners that like come to mind that you would suggest trying to make? Um, the most common projects people start with are like, create your own website, create your own portfolio, create your own to-do list. To me personally, find something that bothers you with computers or you wish existed like on the web. Um, the, the web's the best because you can share it with people very quickly and immediately get gratification, like creativity, gratification and feedback. Um, but learning how to put a web uh, and kind of a complex application on the web that does something you want, like keep track of your information or let you connect with your friends or connect you chat or like chat or just stores your favorite songs or something, or it's like, a, what do you call it? A shrine to something. Mm -hmm. The point is you're having a goal that I want to create a page. I want it to do this. I want to have it look like this. I want to have it, these things that gives you a laundry list of technologies to go big, discover and learn and implement. Um, and it, and it, it gives your education focus, whereas generalized learnings, like I don't know how much I really use today from college. <laughs> yeah. And Most plus of stuff has like changed quite a bit probably, right? It's always evolving. And the real skills, the, the most skilled people in programming are people who are good at researching. like. Figure, figuring out the answers to the questions they don't know, not knowing everything. Nobody's expected to know everything. The best people can move quickly. They like shortcuts, they're lazy, they like you know efficiency and minimal effort. And it's like, I find I spend a lot of time and it might be to my own productivity detriment, like trying to figure out how to make some inconvenience less inconvenient. And then in the long run, I end up being becoming faster and more efficient but in the short run it seems like i'm slow to produce pretty high quality results yeah that makes sense but it's like i guess the alternative would just be tolerating having to do that something over and over again and like not coding something to make it more easy yeah and there's a lot of people who do that but to me that's a sign of a bad engineer um it's just, I'm very passionate about what I create and I want it to have, have good quality or I want it to have a very good concrete reason why like it couldn't be done. So I usually tend to exhaust all my research and be like, okay, now I understand why this can't be done better or I've tried everything I can, put a pin in that, maybe I'll come back to it in a few years, maybe not, but yeah, research is definitely key. Okay, awesome. And then how do you, I guess also, I guess collaboration is like a huge part of, I guess, coding. Um, yeah, my findings with like collaboration and in, in the programming world is uh, a figuring out how to motivate other people to work on the same shit as you uh, is really hard because everybody's got ideas. And I've just in general had some difficulty in figuring out how to really get other engineers on board with some of the things I want to create so that 
you know, you can work on the greater things. So I'm always working for somebody else. Usually this Fosh pit and the cannabis thing have been some new projects where I think people might jump on board, still looking for engineers. Um, but I think I forgot, I forgot your original question. Can you repeat what you just said? So. Yeah, I guess I was just wondering, you know, how big is collaboration in coding? Like, let's say you go oh. into coding as it's, a career or you're you're just trying to build something you know do you always you have to be really good at working with people most a lot of engineers aren't they're like asocial introverts and they're savants but to work in a team in a successful company uh collaboration is super critical like research and communication are the two most important and like passion to me but research and communication are the most important things to being a good engineer because when you write your code it's like your it's like a doctor's signature uh you know how they're like completely incoherent it's a form of handwriting everybody's code looks different and people who enunciate clearly and communicate concepts and ideas clearly and use very easy to grasp structures and layouts and organization who are really good at explaining concepts and understanding concepts and preferably understand like the next steps that will come after what is immediately being implemented and how this interacts with other people and other teams. Like uh, the best engineers communicate when they get stuck. They don't just like quietly hide their shame, <laughs> which is how I used to be when I started engineering. And I realized like programming is complicated and hard. And sometimes you have days and days where you don't get any progress. And the biggest thing I've had to learn as I've matured is to communicate through my bad days to my teams and treat it as this isn't me performing negatively or positively. It's how can we come together to help push individuals past the roadblocks um, or to how to like, you know, alleviate dead cycles and wasted energy and try and focus on keeping us on like 20% input, 80% output. Um, okay. like, where can we put in a little bit of additional effort and see the biggest results? But yeah, I've programming and research, that's easy as an individual contributor. Learning how to communicate with your team is definitely a acquired skill from working at a lot of different companies. And yeah. the sooner you can like figure out how to communicate what you're dealing with on the daily, usually the better you'll be at kind of growing with the team. That's cool. Yeah. And then what was your path to, you know, working on PS5? Like, how did you get that? Uh, well, so before PlayStation, I was at three other tech startups. Um, and uh, sorry, I live downtown San Francisco. So there's all sorts of noises going on in the background. Um, but I worked at three different tech startups in San Francisco. The first one brought me into San Francisco. It was like Jobvite, which is kind of a recruiting referral platform. Then I worked for a big data company that I was employee number 10 for, uh, but they were based in Redwood City, which was so far away from San Francisco. And then I worked for like a social network kind of thing that pretty much died because the guy in charge wouldn't listen to anybody. And <laughs> which is a problem with communication. Like if you're gonna hire a bunch of people, you need to trust them and delegate and not micromanage. Um, and while I was there, I received a phone call from a recruiter and I was about to hang up on them. They're like, you said online that if it was in the video game industry, you'd hear them out. And 
Sony called me up and they offered me a job to work on PlayStation View, which was like streaming television over the internet. Uh, mm. This was before all the cable cutting software had completely taken over. And PlayStation was kind of like one of the first. And we, I helped them work on the architecture that all the different teams used. So the Apple TV, PlayStation View, Android, uh, iOS, PlayStation, Windows, browser, all those things. I worked on the core stuff so that all those teams could do video streaming. And then they shut down PlayStation View to instead refocus all the engineers on PlayStation 5 because pretty much everybody else had entered into the TV streaming industry and we were like one of many and it wasn't <laughs> making us much profit anymore. So that's mm -hmm. how I got tasked with PS5. And I was super determined to make sure PS5 works butterly, buttery smooth with like the HDMI setup. So you can do really cool like TV remote, PlayStation interactions and things like that. Like if you have music playing or if you have a TV, if you have a video playing in the corner with the picture in picture, you can use the TV remote to control whatever's going on on the PlayStation background while you're using the controller to play with the video game in the foreground. There's no like pausing or context switching. Lots of cool stuff that I don't even know if people really notice. But Oh, cool. Those have been like things that annoyed me about my home theater that I just wished were correctly. I tried to put every little oozing piece of love and attention into whatever I could touch on PS5. And then I don't play video games that much on it. So it's kind of yeah. weird. Yeah, I'm sure there's like a lot of people using it for like everything too, like other things besides games. Um, yeah. How, I guess, how, I'm just curious, like how much of Sony is around the place around playstation uh i think playstation is the most profitable division of sony right now but sony is like we've got sony music sony film sony game studios sony playstation which isn't the same as the game studios then you've got sony cameras uh and lenses and video cameras you've got sony cell phones you've <laughs> we got rid of our Vio laptop line. Um, but, you know, there's just, there's a lot of different Sony products and those are like different, almost different companies because we don't interact with them a whole lot. So that's why like, despite how well PS5 performed, the Sony stock is only moving a little bit because we're diluted by how many different industries we're in. Uh, but PlayStation is definite, and the video game industry as a whole is definitely the most profitable branch of Sony. And I think I could be wrong, but I think I recall reading somewhere that the game industry is got is bigger than the music and film industry combined. Like as far, I did like, not know that. I, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure, um, but I get. I, someone can look it up and verify or veto, but I, but like, and if you look at how much people are doing gaming now, like on phones, just on freaking everything, there's four bajillion versions of Call of Duty, and it's like TV shows. I feel like has gotten worse and worse and worse. I mean, during COVID, understandably, but it's just like everything's just a remix of each other. Even the games are kind of remixes, but yeah games I feel like people are kind of more likely to just drone through versus watching my Netflix shows for the 400th time mm -hmm. yeah for sure 
and then it's it's like games are getting so much more realistic too especially you know playstation games yeah well it, i'm like one of the projects i worked on was adding like a gun support to all playstation games whether you have vr or not whether they're old games or new games that haven't been released yet they have like a vr gun we got it to work with battlefield call of duty like uh, overwatch it's just all the different games you could just use this floating gun and now we've got those new feedback triggers and it's like pretty soon i'm sure they're gonna have those vests that kick you in the sternum every time somebody <laughs> shoots you with a bullet or something but the weird thing is to me it's like i remember reading this meme online that said i watching the big screen while scrolling through my little screen to reward myself for staring at the medium-sized screen all day and i'm like my life is just screens i don't know if i want to put two giant high-res screens right in front of my eyeballs and fully entrench myself in a virtual world because i can't escape my room like yeah. the whole world's desperate to go back outside or maybe it's just me yeah are there any studies on eyesight like do those have any effect on your eyesight like virtual reality like right here uh i don't think any worse than probably you staring at your cell phone as often as you probably do um i personally take a lot of steps to kind of reduce eye strain and i feel like they work because my i don't get headaches as much as i used to um i don't know if the technology's gotten better you know like the screen and monitor technology has been evolving. Primarily, Apple has the really glossy screens. I think those kind of reduce eye strain. And then these dark themes, the dark interfaces, and the like nighttime mode, bedtime mode, like red hue, blue hue lighting, all of those are actually all working together to reduce eye strain. So I keep most of my screens on their darkest setting that I can still comfortably see. I make as much of the backgrounds and the themes dark so it doesn't drain battery. And it's not like I'm staring, I'm looking at a large contrasting difference between the screen and the world around it. And when those are very high difference in contrast, your eyes are like almost refocusing how much light they're letting in when you look at the screen away from the screen so yeah i like to have my everything dark dimmed and like just not intense because it's long as it's good enough for me to read it and i watch it when i watch a movie full brightness like blow my sockets out <laughs> but <laughs> for like everyday work and cell phones i, I really shouldn't be staring at screens if i can help mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's probably hard if you're programming a lot i assume yeah staring i'm a fidgety person so <laughs> staring at screens all day i get up i walk around i get distracted a lot it's it's i wonder if i should pursue the music industry or the creative industry but it's like a completely different approach because the the creative industry you're always hustling to come up with new creative content to like entertain and amuse and hold people's attention so you're like and you and when you're performing you have to be on you can't just like yeah. slink away in your bed and be like no i'm not i mean you can do it when you're writing but it's it, it i'm realizing it's a very risky kind of like approach and you're competing with thousands of other millions of other people who think they're the cre most creative person in the world and with the internet it's an even playing field because everybody's got as much voice as you do it's no longer yeah. isolated to just celebrities 
Um, but with like programming and writing, you're kind of like in front of a screen, isolating and programming. Hopefully you're communicating occasionally with your teams, but with COVID, I don't even go into the office anymore. So it's yeah. super isolating. And I think it's less of, to me, it's less about the fact that I'm in front of a screen all day. And it's more about, I'm not interacting with anybody. Like if I was in music or art or even like a retail sort of environment, I would just have more interfacing interactions with other human beings kind of first line uh and my entire in industry is like never interacting with each yeah. other except for like the one meeting that you desperately want to get out of so okay. my socialization is dropped to nothing and i'm desperately going out to music as much as i can yeah, yeah to like just be around people yeah, that's the only time I can like talk to people. Uh, and it's, I feel like almost starved for socialization. So when I do interact with people, I'm like unusually outgoing and interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's like off This is like so like, nice. It's yeah. like, you're desperate. I'm like, no, I'm just fucking bored all the time. I don't. Yeah. If you, maybe if you work at like a grocery store, you hate people by the end of the day. But yeah. It's like the opposite. Probably. Yeah. Because for me, it's like I work in sales, but I work in a very low volume store. Like I literally work with like one other person a day and have like five walk-ins a day. So I'm not like seeing a ton of people either. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I feel the same way, you know, like I'm just like, oh, I want to like meet people yeah. and go out and stuff. And it's like challenging because I get off of work at like six and then I just want to go home and like shower and like get ready for bed. Yeah. And then on the weekends, it's like, I'm usually, you know, I have plans already. Like I'm spending like maybe one out of those two days with, with my girlfriend. Then I have like one day for myself where I'm like, where I can do whatever I want, but that doesn't feel like enough sometimes. I mean, um, I tried, I started like going out more during the week yeah. uh, that you get home, you don't have energy. I get that. I found if I could get past that hump, I could get a second wind. And okay. it was like wind when I went to like music or something. So I would, I would find that I don't, I have no problem. Like I would buy tickets a week or two weeks in advance and I would forget I bought them and there would be small local indie shows, but like the tickets were cheap or somebody had extra secondhand or it was a really good local artist. And I would forget I'd buy the tickets. And at yeah. the end of the day at work, I'd be like, oh, I'm so exhausted. And I'd look at my calendar. I'm like, oh, I forgot I bought tickets to a show this Tuesday night. So I guess I'm going to, because like, I just liked having it as surprises for me to break up my day. And if it starts at seven or eight, like you will be available in time. It was just like, take a yeah. if I, I found taking a shower would give me a second wind or not smoking so much weed, but yeah. <laughs> I just always appreciated once I did go out on weekdays, like, yeah, like I I'm didn't glad just I stay home. Yeah, because then when the weekend comes, like you don't care what you did, like you've already done a bunch of your own stuff all week. It's just, uh, sometimes I wonder if I'm going out. Like, I, I wish I had more focus on my creative projects and less uh, weed and distractions. Uh, I'm like trying to balance my productivity and, motiv and motivation to be productive. It's, been harder and harder with COVID. Yeah, yeah, that's cool though. That's cool that you've been going to shows. So that's like, 
something I've been trying to do too, like go to meetups and like shows and just meet people again. Like, yeah, meetups. Yeah. It was a great way to meet people. I don't know if I like consider all the people I met through music really genuine friends or kind of like I've had and like maybe it's just me. I'm weird. I'm trying to make friends at music because I don't have friends <laughs> I can hang out with from work. But um, but it it was just like going to music for me was a way I could say I'm going out and I'm not just going to a bar drinking yeah. and staring at a wall. I'm like, if I didn't meet, my favorite part about good music was if I went out and I didn't speak to anyone, it was still a good night. Like I got to experience a great live music experience. And so I yeah. kind of fell in love with music here in San Francisco from doing that in my attempts to be social. Cause it started off with like bar crawling and that was lame as fuck. Like, so if you're, if any of you guys are like, let's party, let's go hit up some downtown strip, I highly recommend instead looking for good music and starting focusing on the music and not just part bar crawling and party hopping and shit like that. I don't know, maybe for I find good friends, but it's like, yeah, it sounds like way more inspiring. Definitely. I feel like it's less pressure on the thing. Like a lot of us go out, we're trying to meet somebody, we're trying to have some fun, or we might have certain expectations or hopes. And you get frustrated when you don't accomplish those goals uh, or you don't, and it's like, can be a little bit depressing. Whereas if you go to music, your goal is to have a good time at music. And that's a much easier bar to like meet. And then the bone, if you do have more come of it, it's a positive and it's not something you're looking for. And it's just, it's more likely to organically happen that way. I figure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a good, that's, I'm definitely gonna start doing that, like, trying to go to shows and stuff. Wear a mask. <laughs> oh, and I bought a gym mask, like a workout mask, highly recommended. Like go with your favorite, like I paid a premium for my favorite sports clothing brand because I wanted something that I could wear for like two or three hours comfortably and yeah, work up a sweat and not like completely hate myself by the end. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so that's, yeah, that's cool. And then how did you get, because the Vosh Pit thing sort of had to do with you like in concerts right yeah i i fell in love with music going to music connecting with friends connecting with friends at music meeting people at music and i was really frustrated that all these independent venues were closing because they they just and people want to donate and want to support their favorite venues um they just it's very disorganized and it's like ad hoc and it was unclear which venues are going to survive and which ones won't and what are the venues providing necessarily and lots of things they used to be a lot more complicated like you know this uh cancellation fees or like you know trying to get resell your ticket except with covid um uh, they stopped charging credit cards until after the show because so many shows mm. got canceled. So a lot of the like technical problems that used to be relevant in the music industry before COVID don't make sense anymore. Everybody's got 5G and smartphones and high-speed Wi-Fi. So why are we paying for like printing out tickets or paying like generating a QR code and scanning a QR code is pretty much costless uh, to yeah. technology. The only thing you're really paying for is credit card transaction fees. So it's like, why are all these people collecting fees from you attending music 
And it should only be going to, you know, the venue and the marketers and the artists. It shouldn't be going to like a bunch of corporation middlemans. The, mm-hmm. It shouldn't be going to fucking StubHub, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. <laughs> like a lot of live nation or like StubHub. Yeah. Screw <laughs> those people. Um, I want to, my goal is if my, if we, if we successfully take off, uh, we will destroy those two companies because <laughs> I want to be able to have it so that a venue can offer through our platform, both in-person tickets at reduced service fees, because we would not charge for in-person service fees other than the credit card transaction cost. Um, but alternatively, you would also be able to buy special Fosh Pit virtual tickets, which unlike everything else that's been a virtual show, which is highly static, it's like watching a Twitch feed and watching a chat scroll beyond usability. Uh, it's got this video conferencing aspect where you can link up with people or you can choose to ignore everybody and still watch everybody dance and socialize. And you can choose to just listen to the DJ. Uh, even the DJ can choose just to hear their friends, but they can choose to broadcast uh, voice commentary and everybody who wants to can listen into the DJ. And it's all, it's very, we're working on the video stuff. Go check out Vosh Pit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that sounds good. Um, is there, I have this card game thing online. Have you, I have to get my phone really quick because there's this game. I want to ask you a question from it. It's called The End. And you, uh, let me see. There's like a thing that I could ask you a question. And I started doing this like on my podcast. Okay. Um, just to like finish the episode and then um yeah it's this game and then i'll i'll ask it's just like about um questions about life like it'll ask you like basically like i don't like what was like your first experience doing something um yeah let me let me see friends Oh, it's like it's not working for some reason. Oh, I'll just I'll just ask you a question. Um, what was your favorite memory with me? Like just from life, like um let's see here. Uh I think it was pretty cool going to that recording studio at like 10 p.m. with you and my other friend Adrian. And oh you yeah, joined a freestyle recording with like a bunch of other guys who were all doing like yeah. some hip hop, like freestyling. And you ended up joining and throwing down like a some sort of sample or a, or some baseline like quote, and they started like iterating on it. I was like, this is pretty cool. You might actually have some potential to pick up like some serious just to go somewhere with this. And then COVID started. <laughs> yeah, it was like right after that meetup. Yeah, I think I went there one more time after that because I liked it so much. And then like COVID happened. Yeah. 
Yeah, but that was a really cool meetup. Um, they actually still do meet like online. Um, they broadcast their stuff online now, like their 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 meetup. I think it's like on Tuesday nights or something. That's cool. Um, yeah, I've actually like kept in touch with them. And then my girlfriend, who's also a music producer, um, she used to go there um, back in the day. Like really, it so like it was before. like a coincidence. You're yeah, like, it was oh, like a coincidence. Was like, it was like before I went there, she was going there, like a few times, and then like I went there, and then um, she, I was actually like in their meeting, I think a couple weeks ago, because she's like, hey, I'm going to this meetup, the beer and beats meetup that like we both yeah beer and beats that was yeah it. the guy would like give you a beer like from his bathroom like. <laughs> Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 They had like a mini fridge in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it was yeah, a sick was a crew. Cool yeah. The funny cool. thing is, I found out about that meetup because I became friends with the bartender who was hosting a stand up comedy night at the same <laughs> bar. And I was performing stand up comedy and I became friends with the bartender. And he's like, You should come. You're into electronic music. You should come because I got drinks with him afterwards. And he's like, you should come to these beer and beats. I'm like, oh, I know a bunch of people into that shit. Let's, I'll bring them around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy how we're all connected through that. That's, yeah. yeah. I, the more I get into like raving and EDM, I'm realizing the community is a lot smaller than I anticipated. So I'm wondering how many times I'm going to bump into my ex if she still <laughs> raves. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you want, was that the only question you got? I think that was like the most significant yeah, memory. I, I guess had. I was going to ask, do you still keep in touch with like Kenny? Or oh yeah, but Kenny moved to Stanford. Oh yeah, so he's a bit, he's about south from you now. Yeah, and like the main thing we used to do honestly was kind of go to music. Uh, and I was asking him because he's supposed to come with us to EDC this year. And I was like, Are you, and he doesn't know if he's doing that. And he's like, he's, it looks like he's becoming more of a hermit. I don't know if it's like Stanford or San Jose or what, but like all of his social media is just him biking and like yeah. nature. And I'm like, I should totally be going to nature more often. And then I'm like surfing my phone, eating food downtown and working on my side projects. I'm like I do not have enough creativity or nature in my diet <laughs> right now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, at least you like bought the plants. <laughs> I had to bring Golden Gate Park to my apartment. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So is there anything? I guess I was gonna ask you, I guess since you mentioned stand-up comedy, I sort of wanted to ask you about that. Um, um I guess how did you get into that and then any dreams to like pursue that further? Growing up, I used to love making people laugh. I used to memorize a bunch of stand-up comedy and I always wanted to do comedy and I would write things down, but I didn't like keep writing too consistently. And then I came to San Francisco and I took the comedy college here. I started uh, open, they have like a Facebook group all over for comedy networks. So you can find out about all the open mics. And now what I like to do, I'm not super amazing, but sometimes I got some good material. Um, and I kind of treat stand-up comedy these days as just something to do while I'm traveling. So when I'm in town, I'll go look for a few open mics and try some of my material out and see what the locals are like. But I'll be honest with you, 
uh, all the stand-up I've been going to has been god awful, <laughs> um, <laughs> especially the open mics uh, with COVID and all. It's and in San Francisco, it's like really hard to like put a non complainy spin on almost anything because mm -hmm. like the cost of living and everything going on and I'm like how can I be funnier and the bottom line is is this funny or just depressing <laughs> yeah yeah I got that vibe in San Francisco too with like a lot of the comedy yeah I yeah and again it's like one of those things like you I, I think you have to have the mindset for it and I haven't found I've been in that sort of mindset in a while and I try to write everything I can down but I know I don't have an I, I'm not as happy with my material as I once was hmm. so yeah 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 I think because I've only done stand-up comedy like a handful of times and each time I've done it, like people have usually said good things to me about it. Mm -hmm. So I want to keep doing it. And it's, I don't know, it's something that's really cool. But I always find myself working on music more at home. And stand up, it's weird to like sort of work on stand up comedy because a lot of it is just noticing things and like writing them down so you can like develop them later. But from what I recall about you guys' shows, your comedy is kind of free form. And the one thing I was thinking of is like, you guys might want to look at like some stand-up fundamentals stuff. Because a lot of people were doing storytelling, I recalled when I was attending. And there, a lot of storytelling is okay, but it's like, to me, the difference between stand-up comedy and say improv is improv, you can ad lib, you make it up on the spot and it's 50 50, whether it's going to be funny or not. <laughs> and if you kind of are like free form storytelling, I don't really know what I'm in for, but the best comedians are writing, 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 and they're rewriting, 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 rewriting. And it's that premeditation and that practice and that iteration that perfects these turds and into something actually funny and expecting to be witty and on point just off the seat of your pants like the first and every time and not putting any energy or effort into it like where is the setup where is the punch where are my hits am i getting good timing like without actually looking at writing it down and looking at it and refining it i you know yeah. it's it's just improv but the thing is with music that's okay. You can just improv and nobody can say that note shouldn't be there. Like if you like the feeling of that note, put it in there. But with comedy, comedy is super complicated because it's a, it's an intellectual concept. And the goal is to get other people into the same context that you're in. Like you're thinking of, of a premise. The premise is, you know, a dude walks into a, gets hit by a ball and it's like, 
the context is I was out here on this soccer field and there was an old man walking through and we totally didn't expect a ball to come because there was nobody around and suddenly a ball hits them. And that's what makes this funny. But getting people to be on board with the context and the setup is really hard because a lot of times people will talk about a sentence or a joke or something and people will be like, I don't get it. And what happened was you didn't bring them into the same headspace that you were in when you thought of the punchline. So, um, and, and I think that requires a lot more like forethought, empathy, and you know, observation, not just of, you know, this is the world around me and what's weird about it, but bringing people on board onto what's weird and how can we further iterate this whole concept. So good stand up. The premise is, you know, an observation, but the punchlines are different examples of the observation taken to a silly extreme. It's the juxtaposition of two, you expected one thing, but the end result was unexpected and it's intellectually unexpected, hopefully. And that's what makes for the really good jokes. Whereas, you know, everything else, you're just kind of like feeling it and there's a lot less cerebral thought process in it. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, I remember the best show that I had was I rehearsed it so much. And like when I was physically rehearsing it, I was like, okay, I can add this here. I can add this here. And I wouldn't have done that unless I physically rehearsed it. Yeah. 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 That's that's why I like doing open mics because it's, like I said, it's better to learn by what do they call it? Like when you learn another language by going to the country and surrounding your immersive learning, like entrenching yourself in the goal, which is to perform and to have calmness and confidence on stage and to be able to remember all of your good shit and not have it drop out from your memory <laughs> as soon as you get on stage. Like that's what you, all of those things need to be practiced in like kind of confluence. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. And then, yeah, thank you for those thoughts. And then is there anything you want to say to, to the audience before we wrap up? Um, tip your waiters. They've been really broke. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and then where can people, just so people know, like where can people find you? Uh, where can people find your stuff? Um, for right now i mean oh yeah so you can check out me on instagram i guess it's the most active representation of me individually it's that's t-h-a-t-s underscore fedorable that's fedorable that's on instagram and uh, dean sofer is my name and if you're interested in the cannabis check out canna theory and if you're interested in the music stuff check out vosh pit but yeah that's fedorable at in, on Instagram. I think that's pretty much it. Okay. Yeah, awesome. And I'll type that stuff below. So thank you guys so much for watching episode 29. Uh, this was the interview with Dean Sofer. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode. And we'll see you. I will see you in the next one. Thank you. Right. See you guys later. Thank you.